Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily. I am David Chen, and I know what you are thinking right now as you're listening to this. Where are my typical sonorous tones of Peter Serretta that usually enter my ears at the beginning of an episode of Slash Film Daily? I know I would be pretty upset, discombobulated, disoriented, arguably even angry as well. Uh, so I understand well, what am I doing here today? What am I, David Chen, doing here today? Uh, the reason I'm here in place of Peter Shredda and the normal crew is because uh, I uh, am, am uh, launching a new season of a podcast that I host. And Peter Shredda said, you know what, Dave Chen? I'm willing to turn over the Slash Film Daily feed to you for one episode to promote this crazy podcast you're doing uh, as long as you uh, make it a good episode. So uh, that's what I'm going to try to do today here with a special guest on the Slash Film Daily today. So uh, joining me today on Slash Film Daily is the person who I host this podcast that I'm promoting, The Tobolowski Files. This person has appeared in over 200 TV shows and films. He has played characters such as Sammy Jenkins in Memento, Ned Ryerson in Groundhog Day, Jack Barker in Silicon Valley, and Leslie Berkowitz in One Day at a Time, currently airing right now on CBS Stephen Tobolowski. Stephen, how are you doing today? I'm doing very good. David, you know, that was a rather moving introduction. 
I don't know if you know this, but I think Peter was, I met Peter before I met you. Oh, I didn't know that. I think it was Peter who picked me up in the car and drove me to that comic book store on Sunset Boulevard where I met you, David Chen, for the first time. And I did some stories in that comic book store. And this was, I got to say, it was a different Peter at that time. Now, Peter always wears... (laughs) Peter always wears a vest because the guy has turned into a magician. This is a terrible turn for the worst because now whenever you see Peter, you know, you'd be talking to him and then say, oh, wait a minute. Is that a dill pickle behind your ear? Like, whoa. But he's always pulled that pickle out from his vest. He, I don't remember him wearing for, a vest when uh, yeah. I first met you, but now he's always wearing a vest because that's where he keeps the fingernail clippers and the extra cards and the pickles. All right. First of all, amazing impression of Peter Shredda. Uh So uh, probably one of your best performances yet. Uh, and yes, that's what Peter Serretta did in the before times. He was a very talented mu- magician uh, amongst many other interests. Um, and that's kind of what he suggested we talk about today on this episode of Slash Film Daily is we're not going to talk about any film news. So I know there's going to be a lot of people who are pretty angry about that. They want their daily dose of film news. No, instead, what we're going to talk about during this episode of Slash Film Daily is we're going to talk about kind of the state of what it's like to be an actor in Hollywood right now, which uh, is arguably its own set of film news. You know, it's its own kind of film news in a way, if you think about it. Uh, and in a different way, in a different, more realistic way, it doesn't really have to do with film news at all. But hopefully you'll still enjoy the conversation. So, uh, Stephen Tobolowsky, you're a working actor. Yeah. Uh, you have appeared in films and TV shows before. Many. I want I, you to describe. Yeah, go ahead. I, I'm just, I'm just listening, David. <laughs> I think this is a very profound discussion, both of film and of life, because in a way, what's happening to the film industry because the turnover of what a film film company does they they produce entertainments and they produce several a year like sony entertainment will produce you know many many different projects through different producers a year we are the canary in the coal mine in what this world is and our future in terms of entertainment and what's happening in entertainment is completely uncertain uh i think i mentioned to you that I had worked just recently on the Goldbergs. Did we yeah. talk about that? Yeah, we talked yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like being in a James Bond movie. It was like being in Dr. No or something. You show up on the set, your clothes are brought to you in hermetically sealed bags. Uh, the people who are putting on hair and make the hair and makeup people, they're in spacesuits and with masks and uh, goggles. They gloves, they don't want to contaminate anything. And then when we were all dressed, we were put in plexiglass boxes. The actors, we went to an area offstage, plexiglass boxes with the tops open to where we could breathe and run lines. But that was about it. And for all the anomalies of what, you know, the actor always has to be used to dealing with odd situations. That's what we always, opening night is one of the oddest situations a person can live through. They say that an actor's heartbeat, opening night of a new play is very similar to that of a jet test pilot's heartbeat when he's trying out a jet that's never flown. Now, I don't believe that statistic. I I don't know anyone would ever use actors (laughs) in a statistic 
with jet fighters. But I, you get the idea. What we are trying to do in show business is seeing if a working model is possible. We don't know that it is. And we shot the Goldbergs. They're shooting that show now. And that is safe. I'm starting a film next week, David. I'm starting a film next week. I get another COVID test next week. So this is the third COVID test I've had in the last six weeks. So uh, I want to ask you some more questions about that, that all that stuff. Um, yeah. But before I do, I just want to throw in a quick plug for the Tobolowski Files, which is the podcast that I host with you. Um, and it just is Stephen Tobolowski telling interesting stories from his life. Check it out at ToboloskiFiles.com. We also launched a YouTube channel to go along with the podcast. Check out live in-person stories that we filmed pre-COVID at YouTube.com slash Tobofiles. So if you enjoy this episode of Slash on Daily and want to hear more, uh, go to ToboloskiFiles.com or YouTube.com slash Tobofiles. Stephen, you've been talking about what it was like to film the Goldbergs and how it was like this big to-do. One of the most tricky parts, I think, about the fact that COVID's happening right now in Hollywood is it, it's fundamentally a business in which the main actors cannot have, like the stars, right? The most high profile talent cannot be wearing masks, but I assume everyone else was, right? So like the actors weren't, everyone else was like, what was the atmosphere like when you're filming? It was unlike anything I'd ever experienced on a set. Very unusual. And this, and I did a movie for uh, China and in, in which everybody spoke Chinese and I had a translator and the Chinese actors had translators so we could understand one another. This is stranger than that. First of all, like on the Goldbergs, what are you going to do? You cut down the crew. The crew was cut way back. You only had three cameramen, one of them being the cinematographer. So that on, was on a, a typical, typically on Goldbergs, like describe the scene in a typical Goldbergs episode. Like how many people are there compared to how many you saw recently? Yeah, I would say crew wise, if typically we have 40 on a crew and that includes gaffers and grips, people who move lights and sets, hair and makeup people, prop people, sound people, camera people, and producers and directors, let's say 40 we had maybe 20, mm. about so half. So you're, you're down by half. And done. I mean, we, we should say that like, I've, you know, I've been on a number of sets before. They are not exactly known for efficiency. Uh, I think you, you can probably speak to this a little bit, right? Like many sets, a lot of people spend quite a bit of time waiting around for something to happen, right? It, there are many, many, many reasons for that too. So it's hard to chalk all that up to inefficiency, but but it happens for a lot of re- now. It doesn't happen on the Goldbergs. The Goldbergs is what we call a well-oiled machine, uh, like Law and Order, well-oiled machine. You go on those sets and you feel the difference. You need a seatbelt because these people are so proficient at the story that they're telling, the style of story they're telling, and the directors that they use. Everybody speaks in shorthand. Uh, it's thrilling to do a Goldbergs. And it's thrilling to be in any of the Law & Order shows just to be near that efficiency. 
but it's also a testament as to how rare that efficiency is. Mm. So you're saying that the Goldbergs, with like 40 people on set, was already above average in terms of efficiency, and that it, even that level of efficiency was scaled down due to COVID protocols, right? Oh, yeah, completely. Uh, the, I guess one of the most unusual things is ordinarily what you would do is we would all meet on the set, we would rehearse, then we would begin to shoot. This time we all arrived on set with masks. Uh, the director, Lou Schneider, who has directed many Goldberg, said, well, do you want to rehearse or do you want to shoot it? And I said, shoot it. And Wendy, uh, who plays Mrs. Goldberg, when Wendy McClendon Covey said, yeah, let, let's shoot it. And the reason why you say that is not only so you can get the hell out of there as fast as possible and not get sick, is that we don't use film anymore. And the whole reason in the past you would use film is that a canister on a camera for a television or film at most would, unless you had some rig, some special rig, well, we're talking film news now, would only last 11 minutes. You had 11 minutes to shoot whatever you wanted to shoot. But now you have a chip. And on the Goldbergs, I mean, the first chips were about 30 minutes. Then they went to an hour. And now I think we have even longer chips. So you could keep that camera running indefinitely. So why rehearse? Mm. Just shoot because you're bound to get something, even on the first terrible take, that possibly could be used. And you're going to edit the, you're going to edit it anyway. So we began to shoot just the rehearsal. Then we all left. We got retouched up, came in with uh, plexiglass masks we held in front of our face until we were ready to shoot again. The camera people were ready. Then we pulled the plexiglass screens down from in front of our face and we do our next take. And yeah, I, I, so I've done like uh, wedding photography in the past. Like I've been a wedding photographer, and uh, or I'll, I'll sh I've shot engagements before. And often uh, you're shooting in like cold environments, right? Like yeah. it's cold outside. And so uh, what I'll do is I'll have everyone keep their coat on until like I've posed them correctly, and then I'll say, "Okay, take your coats off," and just like throw their coats off, and then I'll shoot some shots, and then they put the coats back on because it's very cold. And it it sounds like. The COVID protocol is a little bit like that, except way more terrifying. Like you're, you have the masks on and it's like, okay, take the masks off and shoot. And then, okay, put the mask back on. Is that, is that roughly what it was like? That's roughly what it's like. And a lot of times people say, well, what is the key to being an actor? And they always want to talk about emotions and your feelings and all of these things that are all fine to talk about. But the real key of being a professional actor is to be able to start, to be able to start the scene. And I can mention a podcast that we did came to mind that a couple of actors on a couple of sets came up to me and they said, thank you for the Tobolowsky files for this particular episode because it, it kind of opened a door to me as to how to look at professional acting. Was David, it The Moment Before Zero? Yes! Yes, okay. I cannot believe... Yes, David, I was going to test you, but you already beat me to the punch. Yeah, so so on the Tobolowsky Files, which again, you can find at tobolowskyfiles.com, 
we recorded an episode called The Moment Before Zero. It's this, I don't know if you coined the phrase, Stephen, or if you got it from someone, but basically it's this idea that as an actor, one of the most challenging things you need to do is reset yourself back to the back to what you what Stephen Tobolowsky describes as the moment before zero. That is the moment before you begin. So as an example, if you are in a fight with Mel Gibson in Bird on a Wire or whatever, right? Yes. Uh, and or someone some some character. I mean, Stephen usually plays characters that like people beat the shit out of, right? Um, so <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, so you know, so if you're some character that is getting the crap beat out of him then the director calls cut you then need to do another take you need to reset you need to bring your mindset back to the point before you started getting wailed on right um right and that's one thing actors don't think about when they approach their scene yeah often they'll like give too much for instance they'll like spill it all in the first you know they'll, they'll, they'll they'll give their all they'll they'll spill their guts out in the first take and then it's like they got nothing left after that right here, uh, like an example of something I saw in, in one of, again, with a wonderful show that I had worked on, uh, Law & Order uh, SVU. I, I did two of those. One as, of course, a pedophile, and then another one as a defense attorney. But I was watching a scene being shot, and it took place in a bar. And fellow was getting, you know, having a drink at the bar, and then... Uh, the two police detectives come in, uh, Chris and Marishka. They come in to question him at the bar. You're on a first name basis with those SVU folks, yeah. I am. I am very much on a first name basis with those people, and they are some of so they are some of God's great creations. I got to say, just in terms of splendid human folk, you know, <laughs> yep. uh, they are amazing, amazing people, and. But I saw that the guest star that, that was being questioned, he was having his drink at the bar, and he's interrupted from having his drink. And then he's questioned uh, by Stabler and uh, what's Marishka's name in that? Her, her legal name, Sadler. Or anyway, they're being questioned at, at the bar, and he gets rattled and all of this kind uh, as Olivia being, Benson. Olivia Benson. 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 Yeah. yeah. And and so I'm. Uh, he's the guest star is getting rattled by the interrogation, and then they go for a take two. But I see he doesn't go back to where he was. He went back to drinking his drink, but he didn't go back to the moment before zero. And the next take, he was. He almost was telegraphing the fact that trouble was about to come in that front door. And the problem didn't get better. It kind of got worse with each take. And I was thinking, that's when I was thinking of the moment before zero. And that is, why did he go to the bar in the first place? And why did he get a drink? You would think, oh, well, I'm at a bar. I'm getting a drink. No, there's a reason you go to a bar and get a drink. And Mm. as an actor, that is your moment before zero. Like, was he going in there to celebrate something that just happened at work? Was he going there to get away from his nagging wife and needed a drink? Did he want to just watch the game with some of his friends? There was a reason he went to that bar, and that's the moment before zero, and that's the moment that as an actor, if you make that up, it's never in the script, if you can imagine what that is, you can always get to the moment where you need to be for when that scene begins again. So going back to your recent experience in the Goldbergs, yeah. right? 
when you had to uh, put on the mask, then rip it off for the take, did you have any diff- like? W- was there anything more difficult about getting to the moment before zero with this COVID stuff than in other situations? Yeah, and I thought you were going to guess it. Then I I did the same thing that I would have done had I been the guy at the bar. I had a prop. I had a prop that I looked at and I imbued with a backstory, and that was uh, a piece of work on my desk that was interrupted. Uh, by Mrs. Goldberg and Adam Goldberg when they come into my office. And I looked at, at that piece of paper, and I always came back to whatever the subject was, the PTA meeting, it, it was some uh, school subject that I was interrupted in, in, in coming to. So I used the prop to get me back to the moment before zero, COVID or no COVID. Uh, it's the same, the obstacle that keeps you from working, be it physical, be it psychological, like the terror, is this going to be the last job I ever have? Or is it just a regular acting day and it's artistic? Like, where am I starting in this scene? You can always find some sort of prop. And I think Stanislavski talks about this, uh, the great acting teacher and director uh, from the end of the 19th, beginning of the 20th century always said that there is a life in inanimate objects. And I know there is, David, because I have a coffee cup on my shelf. And one of the joys of this COVID period is when I wake up at six in the morning and I get that first cup of coffee and I pull down the coffee cup given to me by David Chen. And I looked at that coffee cup and just holding it in my hand, it made me smile so much more than just the coffee cup I got for being on one day at a time and the coffee cup I got from visiting Vashon Island. Each of those cups meant something to me, but the coffee cup that you uh, gave me when I uh, spoke in Seattle once uh, really started my day off, made me smile. So there is a life to inanimate objects and we all know this. We all know this is true. We all have a favorite pair of underwear and a favorite pair of socks. And we all have shoes we hate, uh, doorknobs that we just cannot stand. Uh, inanimate objects play a big part in our life. And actors need to bring that to their work, to the set, because usually we don't. We leave it behind. So I think what you're saying is you were able to use some of your already existing adaptations to get through the challenging situation that you're dealing with right now. With I would say old-fashioned thing. theater training. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was using theater. I had good theater teachers, and I was able to use what, what they said to get me through all that. Uh, again, th- there is not a lot that can help get you through the 6.30 in the morning doctor call the day before the day before we shot when I had to get a COVID test at Sony before I walked onto the set. So you have that whole nightmare that's new, that that is new to the business. Uh, every performer has to get a COVID test negative before they show up on a set, and you have to get a COVID test every 48 hours. 
that you work. And, and it's it's the one where they put the long stick into your throat through your nose. Like, is it that one? Yes, or is it, a different... it goes through your nose. And David, you you may be too young to remember this, but back in the back in the seventies, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. you know, a lot of times you, we go to these parties and people pull out a little of that marijuana stuff, and we. I've and, never and, heard of that. Never yeah, heard of it. It, it was a it was a, a kind of a herbal medication that when lit with a match enabled you to really think that there was no music better than the music that was that than the music that was coming out of that turntable in the 1970s mm-hmm. like I'll try uh, I'll try to imagine what you're talking about Fleetwood okay. Mac yep, yeah yep. yeah Fleetwood it was I'll, I'll try to imagine it yeah yeah anyway uh what were we talking about oh right so we we <laughs> that's another thing that's another thing grass would do um but what the hell were we talking about? You were you were you were you were about to make an analogy yes. about how like the the test that they stick up your yes. nose. Yes. Yeah. So the the flirtation you would use <laughs> at that time. In fact, I used that on my present wife, uh, Ann Hearn, and I said, you know, you roll a really good reefer, and she did. It was, and she never smoked grass, but as yeah. a it was where, one of where, her. Where the heck is this going, Stephen? I, I don't even. You're it's not going even making nowadays. Okay. Nowadays, <laughs> if you were to meet a woman, you would go. You know, you give a really good COVID test. It's. I. I found myself. <laughs> I found. I found myself saying this at Sony at six thirty in the morning. I had this beautiful blonde woman there, and she said, "Now this is going to feel funny, but it's not going to hurt." And I said, "Now I've had this test. I had the test last week for another show, so we'll just stay still." And she been and she stuck that uh, little swab up my nose into the lower stem of my brain, and she pulled it out, and I went like, you know. You give a really good COVID test, and it came out with this sleazy, it, it, yeah, I <laughs> this mean, sleazy I, I felt, intonation. I was yes. ashamed of myself, yes. but it was six thirty in the morning. You made everyone would, listening to this feel dirty just now. Yeah, I know, I know. And but but she <laughs> and I had to laugh, and she had to laugh. And uh, I said, "I'm really sorry about that. I'm sorry the way that came out, but that." <laughs> I'm a I'm a child of the 70s and I'm just used to uh those odd skills. So anyway, I am going to get another one of those co- and every 48 hours, David. Got to get the the brain, you know, the brain swab every 48 hours you go on to a set. So we're still learning about when people show as positive and like we there is a phenomenon of false negatives and false positives and such and such like that like are you sca- like what what you're describing sounds pretty pretty rigorous as a protocol but it's not perfect right um right. are you scared at all when you're out there acting with people are you like worried like the person that you're acting with who's spewing particles into the air might have covid do you like try to put it in the back of your head like what's your approach I, I try to stay away from everyone possible. I don't eat on the set. Uh, I don't have any snacks. I, I bring stuff with me in my bag when I come to the set. Uh, I do get concerned. I know my circle is pretty small, but right now I'm a new grandfather. I have a little baby that comes over a couple times a week, and my son comes over. So, but. And I think his circle is small too. So 
Our circles are relatively small, but they're not completely closed. And when you walk onto a set, even though everyone's wearing masks and everyone's social distances, you you don't know what's going to happen. Like in this movie that's coming up that I'm shooting in a few days, uh, I uh, Cherry O'Terry is my wife in, in this film, and we're supposed to make out during the movie. <laughs> And uh-huh. so I, I called Cherry. We, we, we talked today on, on the phone, and I said, what is your level of comfort? I said, because I said, I'm not sure what your personal life is or how careful you are. My wife and I, were extremely careful. We don't go anywhere, do anything. Truthfully, like, what is your circle? Mm-hmm. And Cherry said, like, well, my circle is that my husband and I, we stay home and they pretty much do what I do, which is just go to the store very early in the morning. They don't go to restaurants. They don't go to bars. And uh, I said, okay. And I, well, let, I, let me ask you, let yeah. me ask you this actually, before we be, that's very fascinating. I want to hear more about that, but would you have these kinds of conversations with people before, like you've performed love scenes with people before, Yeah. you know, would you have these kinds of conversations? Like, I'm curious, like how does this kind of conversation compare to the conversation you'd have before COVID, you know? Well, with Pam Adlon in Californication, yeah. there there was never any. <laughs> who, who, by the way, like Stephen had like graphic sexual sex scenes with, right? Graphic. And or gra- the, <laughs> I just said sexual sex scenes. Yes, graphic sex scenes with in Californication. If if I don't know how graphic I can be on this podcast, is is that? Let's try to let's try to not be that graphic. But okay. But suffice to say, I saw Stephen's ass. Yes. Well, through yeah. through the TV. Through the TV yes. on Californication. Yeah. Yes. And, so, and, and which, I, so, which I didn't, it was not what I necessarily, the thing I wanted to see. No. You know, but, but I did see it. So, no. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and so Pam and I had a great relationship. Just as people, we, we both found it all very funny. And, uh, we, we were just, she has three kids. I had two kids, and we're going like, "Oh my God, what if our kids see that?" You know, uh, while we're doing the scene, we're doing that. But it, it all depends on the comfort level of the other performer. I've I've worked with some people that are, you know, don't want to be touched and don't really want to be kissed in a scene where you have to kiss them, and and they. It, it, it kind of hurts your feeling. I feel like I'm in junior high again. You know, <laughs> and they don't want to kiss me. But I go, but that's what it says in the script. Uh, yeah. But so. So, with, so I think you're saying it depends on the person. Yes. And it's actually kind of comparable. Like you probably would have that interaction to say like, hey, either before or during, you'd say like, hey, like what, what you, you, would, you would sense what their comfort level was. That would and, be, yes. Yeah. So, so before COVID, I see what you're getting at. Before yes. COVID, this conversation would be the same. The only difference is the stakes. Now, you know, you could get a sickness that can kill you if if you decide to kiss someone that you don't know in a scene. Yeah. And and and, and this and the, the the nature of the conversation is different too, because you're probably talking about like, you know, how many people do you see on a weekly basis? It, yes. Like, you're you're asking them questions that you wouldn't otherwise ask someone. Right. right? With with yeah. Pam Adlon, I was saying, like, does this embarrass you? It doesn't embarrass yeah. me. Are you okay? You, you're not like, do you eat in restaurants, you know, right. or anything like that, right? So it's like, do you go to bars? Do you go to restaurants? Do your husband and you go out to see other people at night? 
Do you wear masks wherever you, I mean, you ask all of these personal questions and, and there's a lot on the line because you can get sick and you can die when you're my age. And, uh, also having, I said, being a grandfather, I don't want to bring any sickness into my home that would keep me from being able to see my granddaughter, see my son, or get my dear wife sick. So the the stakes are enormous. Mm. Uh, but it sounds like you had a nice chat. With we we had a good chat, and it was a good professional chat. And that once once uh, she was seeing the angle I was talking about. That, that I just wanted to know where we were at on the safety scale. Do you live the same way I live right now? Right. Which is in a dungeon. Yes. So. that I mean, that's something that I have found. Uh, it's a very widespread phenomenon, actually, is people will hang out with their friends and they assume that their friends take the same measures as them. Right. Because they're like, I've known so-and-so for six years. You know, we spend all this time together. Surely they would think like me. Uh, in terms of the safety protocols, and often find that that's not the case. One hundred percent. People are making all kinds of different calculations for 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 legitimate reasons sometimes. And and it's it's the same thing as uh, I guess cheating on a test uh, when you were in grade school. If you have some of the numbers uh, or some of the answers in your pocket, and you pull it out and you look down at your lap when your teacher's not looking, and you could say, "Well, I only." It was only a couple of the answers that I got from cheating on, you know, it was only a couple. Mm -hmm. But again, the stakes are so high. In this case, it, it really challenges, it challenges you to view that person's character the same way. It's not just a joke and and it's not just uh, an invasion of privacy like it is. You're talking potentially life and death when you're dealing with older actors like me. You know, I'm I'm at the cutoff line of what they call kindling for this this uh, fire they call COVID. Uh, so I try to be very careful, and you hope everybody else is too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're obviously shooting this movie. You're obviously doing the Goldbergs, and. I, I mean, I get, you know, this is kind of getting a little more personal. So if you don't talk about this, that's fine. We we, we can maybe cut it out, although probably not. Um, <laughs> but I guess I'm, <laughs> I guess I'm curious, like, uh, did it ever occur to you to not take these jobs or to not do them and yeah. maybe like try to pivot to like, you know, I'm sure someone like yourself could could make a decent living, like doing voice voiceover work doing cameos, you know what I mean? As I've, uh, as I've yes. pitched you before, you know, so why, why are you taking any risk at all? Like where, where, what's your calculation there? Yeah. It's, it's like the old, uh, Jewish saying, if not now, when, uh, and, and that saying means a lot. It's very profound. If not now, when doesn't say do it now, it's saying like, well, if you choose not to, then what is your construction as to when you will do it? And part of that calculation for me was recently what happened with SAG, the Screen Actors Guild, and that basically their insurance program went broke 
and we we had this these meetings uh, online on Zoom with SAG executives saying, if you're over 65, which I am, you are being basically dropped from SAG insurance. And you can, and we will have counselors that, and this is going to be such a good experience. And the counselors are going to walk you down that pathway to show you new uh, people who will give you insurance other than SAG uh, because they ran out of money. And I paid Again, I paid. This, in, this is like, uh, did you ever see Up in the Air with George Clooney? That movie. God, I did. Yes, I did. And and he has this. He basically George Clooney's job in that movie is firing people, yeah. and he has this line that he says, uh, "Anybody who has ever built an empire or changed the world sat where you are now, and it's because they sat there that they were able to do it." It's kind of what it sounds like you're, you're talking about, it, Stephen. There with yes, it's a little bit like that, and of course, the thought being. I paid into this SAG pension for 41 years. For 41 years, I've made my payments so I would have health care. And then as soon as I get to a certain age, now they say, you know, all that stuff we told you when we were taking your money, we, we ran out of money. You know, it's a combination of the fact that we, COVID really ate into our finances here and the fact that we spent so much money on a new building and we we raised uh, our own uh, you know salaries you know so many different things entered into their their construction and so we felt enormously on the hook and betrayed and again a lot at risk different stuff at risk that when you're a young actor and you're wondering if you're going to find an agent or not or hoping you get a job so you could call home and tell mom, yes, it wasn't a mistake. I'm going to be able to be an actor. Now the construction is, holy mackerel, I'm in act three of my life. I had everything set up. I've saved money. I have insurance. And now I have no insurance. And what the hell do I do? And one of the things I had to do was be able to make $30,000 within the next six months, which was difficult because nothing is nothing was working. Uh, SAG initially said that my earning period had to be f- from last April until uh, March of uh, 2021. And, and Anne is my wife is going like, last April, nobody was working. Everything was sh- everything was shut down. The pandemic is full bore. And there is no uh, no certainty that things won't be completely shut down again. We, we really don't know what direction this is going in, which is why the Goldbergs and the entertainment industries like the canary in the coal mine. Can we find a way to work safely? So the movie and the Goldbergs would provide me enough money to pay for my health insurance for one more year. So we bat that ball back up in the air and we continue on. And we, again, may I mention another George Clooney movie, since we're not talking about film, but The Descendants, where we've been talking about a lot of George Clooney movies lately. George has made some really good movies. But Stephen Stephen Tobolowsky and I recently did a Michael Clayton commentary over on my uh, Patreon page at patreon.com slash Dave Chen. 
Um, so that'll be there if, if people are interested in hearing us talking about George Clooney even more than we already have. Yeah. But tell, tell me about The Descendants. The Descendants is uh, he plays uh, a conservator of this land that his family has owned in Hawaii for generations. And now they they lose the conservatorship in seven years. So they want to take a payout now. And the payout would be millions and millions of dollars. And everybody in the family is very thrilled that they're going to sell this land back to the state of Hawaii. And they're going to take all of their riches. And I don't want to be a spoiler. Do I, do I have to be a spoiler? You I, can and just say you can just say we're going to spoil the descendants. So if you haven't just, seen the descendants yet, then skip ahead by a couple minutes of the podcast. And and what happens is George Clooney, for a variety of reasons which I will not spoil, decides. <laughs> I, I mean, you might as well because we already said we're going to spoil it. Oh, okay. Uh, he realizes his wife, who's in a coma, uh, before she was in a coma, had been cheating on him. And the, his teenage daughter breaks the news to him. So a lot of the descendants is trying to figure out who the hell she was having this affair with. And they find out it's one of the real estate people who's involved on the other side of this sale. So George Clooney, maybe to get back at him so the, the guy won't get a big commission, or maybe it's just a piece of a puzzle decides we didn't do anything to get this land. It's not really ours. We, I'm not signing the paper. Even though everyone in the, I'm not signing the paper, we, we don't need all this money. And at the end, they go like, man, you're out of your mind. We're going to take you to court. He says, do whatever you want. He says, I have seven years to figure out another solution. So David, I'm saying, like the Descendants. Well, that was, that was a long walk for that analogy, Stephen. I, well, that's <laughs> just because the movie The Descendants is so good, but but uh, <laughs> which I've also seen numerous times during the pandemic. But again, I I have more. I bought another year to figure out what I'm going to do about my health care. You well, know, but but as we yeah. you know on the podcast, I'm, since we're trying to shout out our podcast. I have three podcasts in the series, uh, the Rubicon, uh, the return of Mr. Huge and the long road to somewhere else, <clears throat> which is about my heart surgery. My, <clears throat> I'm sorry, my throat is going now. I need throat surgery. My open heart surgery that I had, which was really scary for me. I think those podcasts are in the forties. We did those, uh, episode like late 40, you know, round in there. Yeah. But that, that, that was basically, like, Stephen had open heart surgery and you, there was a lot of doubt as to whether, you know, you, you had a lot of doubt or you had at least to accept the possibility you might not come out of it. And, um, and then even if you did come out of it, would you still be able to work? Right. So you had, you, there's a lot of kind of uncertainty in your life at, at that time. I think we were, we like, knew each other at that time, right? Like we were friends at that time. Oh, so, yes, yes, yes. So it was a challenging time for you. And so how would you compare this right now to that time where you had the open heart surgery? I just talked to Annie, my wife, about this. There was a real difference in that after the surgery, 
even though they cracked me open like a damn lobster. Every, every bone in my chest was broken. And it I'd never experienced pain like this. I remember whispering to Anne in the ICU, I feel so good. It was, I felt like I had blood rushing through. I, I was like a lobster in a pot beforehand and I didn't know it. I feel the opposite now, David. Even though I'm healthy as a hound, I take COVID tests almost every 48 hours. You take them like they're going out of style. Go, going out of style from fine looking foxes, giving me, <laughs> giving me the COVID test. And I'm working out all the time. I've lost 20 pounds during this. Oh, uh, amazing. Pa- yes. Congrats. And, and, I you're 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 making the best podcast of your life at tobolowskifiles.com. Making the best podcast of my life. I feel enormously creative and I feel like we're dying. I feel like we're lobsters in a pot now the other way around and I'm filled with fear. And that is why I'm talk about long way around. That is why if not now when. I couldn't come up with a if not now. And I'm thinking at some point we either go back to work or try to go back to work and act and see what the dangers are or we live with the monsters under the bed. We have to say the monsters under the bed are real and we have to live with that and I'm not ready to do that yet. So I want to see what this experience is going to be like, how safe or not safe it is. Hopefully, I'll live to tell the tale, but at least it bought me another year. Well, Stephen, uh, as uh, I-, I am obviously your friend, I'm rooting for you. Uh, people who are listening to this, I got to assume at least some of them are fans of some of your work. They're rooting for you as well. Um, so we're wishing you the best of luck, man. And, uh, you know, uh, I'll, be with, I'll be here with you every step of the way probably to document at least some of it for <laughs> podcast purposes. Wonderful. Um, but uh, you can find more stories from Stephen Tobolowsky at tobolowskyfiles.com. Check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash tobofiles. If you enjoy hearing my voice, check out my podcast, Culturally Relevant, at culturallyrelevantshow.com. I also do another small podcast. It's called The Slash Filmcast. Check that out at slashfilmcast.com. This podcast, Slash Film Daily, is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and television, as well as deeper dives into the great features from SlashFilm.com. You can subscribe to Slash Film Daily on Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, and all the popular podcast apps via RSS. Send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. And please leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention the email on the air. Also, by the way, if you could rate and review this podcast on iTunes... That would help, as well as telling your friends and spreading the word. Stephen Tobolowski, thanks so much for joining me today on Slash Home Daily. And to everyone who listens to Slash Home Daily, thanks for letting us uh, be a part of your day today. I know it's not a usual episode, but I hope you enjoyed this uh, conversation nonetheless. Thank you.